You are listening to the Missio Tempe podcast. We are a church of missional communities, living as a family of missionary servants for the good of our city. For more information about our church, visit missiotempe.com. We hope this teaching encourages and challenges you to faithfully take up your role in the Missio Day. Uh, we've been in a global pandemic the last uh, couple of years. It's feel like it's a different season, right, in the midst of that, but... Um, at the beginning of the pandemic, the city of Tempe was doing this really cool research where they were looking and using wastewater to get an idea of the levels of infection in our city by zip code. Just wastewater. Like the water you flush down a toilet or you brush your teeth with or take a shower with. That water was then um, studied and they could tell how much coronavirus infection was in certain communities. Really, really interesting. They actually had started this research a couple of years before, sadly, for drug use. And so they could see and monitor uh, the levels of drug use in our city. And sadly, I think the stat was like last year, year before, hundreds of people, I think it was like 400 died from overdose in our city, Tempe. And I don't know what the stats are for Scottsdale and Phoenix. but So they were using this research, though, from the wastewater to understand both drug use and then to use it for the COVID-19 infection. And they're talking about all these different ways that in the future they can use it in other ways to study different things that have in anonymy in anon- anonymously so that they could understand what's happening in our city. I think it's really interesting to think of that picture as what is happening below the surface is shaping life above ground. And the thing we take for granted, wait, uh, plumbing, when it gets taken away, it has severe consequences. Jackson, Mississippi has been without running good water for quite some time. It is serious when you lose that access to that, what's happening underground. That's one picture. Another picture, I have, uh, the last, last weekend, we were scattered for our gathering. Thank you, Ben and Brittany, for leading us in the liturgy last week. They're going to be leading us in communion today. They're just doing everything, I guess, around here. Now, I need to start working a little bit harder, maybe, or something. Uh, but anyways, uh, Last weekend, we were in Forest Lakes. It's past Christopher Creek. It's like 20 minutes up, right on the top of the rim. A bunch of your leaders were praying and processing, uh, praying for you and processing together the season of our church. And I love being in pine trees. Do I have anybody else who loves being in pine trees? Uh, there wasn't a ton of wind, but my, one of my favorite sounds is when the wind runs through the trees, uh, especially when you're uh, maybe at night or at dusk or dawn this beautiful experience you have of listening to the trees. There's been a lot of research done lately on how trees communicate. That trees are actually not isolated entities, but they're actually interconnected in the root system. Fascinating uh, story and study is that trees actually, uh, when they see like when there's a beetle or an enemy threat to one of the trees, it, that tree can send a signal out to other trees as their roots are all connected to tell other trees to get ready to warn them of coming danger. Uh, trees are able to communicate and share nutrients with one another. If a tree's struggling, uh, different trees that are connected can share nutrients. They do all these amazing things that you can't see. You and I don't get to experience what's happening below the surface is shaping life above ground. Now, when I was thinking about the series of Ephesians, I couldn't maybe sit on either plumbing or tree ecosystems as the dominant image. So I just gave you both. But what is happening in Ephesians, we're going to look at this letter, is it's telling the story how the gospel that's underneath the surface, that is the interweb of our entire life together, the root system, the plumbing of our life together as the church, it takes what's hidden underneath 
and brings it to the surface so you can see. See, it's unveiled before you. I'm gonna give you this quote from Eugene Peterson who has this kind of image in mind as he thinks about Ephesians. He says, Ephesians is the revelation of the church we never see. It shows us the healthy soil and root system of all the operations of the Trinity out of which the church grows that we do not see. It does not describe the various expressions of what grows from that soil into cathedrals and catacombs and storefront missions and revival tents, tabernacles and chapels, nor does it deal with various ways in which the church takes form in liturgy, mission, and polity. It doesn't give you all the details of how to live as a church or what to do, but what's underneath. Rather, he says, it's an inside look at what is, be- what is beneath and behind and within the church that we do see wherever and whenever it becomes visible. This is what we're trying to get at with this letter of Ephesians for the next eight weeks. It's going to be a lot less of maybe what to do or this is the way to live. It's going to be some of that. It's like, hey, here's the gospel story that's in the root system of what it means to be God's people, unveiled before us. I don't know about you, but I can be pretty disillusioned uh, when I think about how churches operate, our church included, and churches function, and people living together, because sometimes you wonder, where is God's power that you want to see on display? Where is the God who heals and reconciles? Where is the God who can bring dead things to life? And although I believe that's true, and we just sang that song, a beautiful creed in many ways, like from the day-to-day experience, like where is the power that I've been told about, that maybe I've experienced at some point? Where, where is it? And sometimes it's really hidden, and you can't see what God's doing. Again, it's happening underneath the surface. You don't understand how the trees are communicating above ground. You don't know what's happening underneath. Diedrich Bonhoeffer says this, which hopefully is encouraging to you and for my heart as well. He says this, which this is a preview for the Bonhoeffer cohort. You should sign up. It should be pretty great. Um, I've been warning people. He's very German in his approach. And for Western Americans, we don't like the either this or that. But he's like, just like, either you're a Christian or you're not. Get in or get off. Doesn't say it like that exactly. But, he, he, but he, he also has nice phrases like he's about to say right here. So not to scare you away. He says, what may appear weak and trifling to us may be great and glorious to God. The beauty of us being the church is that there's so much we do not see happening below the surface as God reconciles heaven and earth, which we're going to see. And what we can see on the surface as weak or simple or, ah, that doesn't, that lacks, may actually be great and glorious to God. The fact that we are a community together here, right now, in this time and moment, in our cities, is glorious it, it is amazing that God can unite so many different stories and people. Yes, conflict and all the other stuff that comes with communities, but the fact that you're sitting in here and you just shared time with one another, that's so profound because underneath, in the root system of our church, is the gospel story, which is all of what Ephesians is about. So here's my invitation for you this series, and maybe it's more an invitation for me, but could you set aside for a moment your critical eye or the tools you use for assessment to figure out if things are good or not, even for our own church? Could you set those aside for a moment? Not those are important, and there's time for that. But let the cosmic drama of Ephesians, of God's salvific work, of saying, hey, Jesus, I'm going to send on your behalf, 
and he's going to unite heaven and earth. Like, let that story wash over you. And then from there, let's pick up the problems and the challenges we have, because there's a lot of those too. But it's coming from an undersystem of God's grace and kindness towards us. So if you have a Bible, would you open up to Ephesians chapter 1? I want to look at verses tonight, 1 through 14. Ben Ide is going to teach us next week on the next section of Scripture here. Or maybe it's two weeks from now, Ben. I can't really remember, and I just drew blood earlier, so my mind's a little bit lost. But one of the next two weeks, Ben is going to be teaching us. But Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. Listen to this drama unfold. Some of you, this might be a new passage. You've never seen it before, or you're not familiar with it. For some of you, it might be really familiar. Don't let the familiarity of the passage take away the magnitude of literally what Paul is saying here, that God has done in Christ. Hopefully you got to listen to Ben's uh, uh, overview sermon to give you a flow of the letter. And so I'm just going to assume that you have, and we're just going to jump right in. It says this, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. To God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then check this out. This is one sentence. He would have failed his English class in high school for sure. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ in him. We were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in the conformity with the purpose of his will in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be the praise to the praise of his glory. And you were also included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory." Man, Paul must have had some good pipes to be able to uh, get that whole sentence off at once. Real quick, before we jump in, what did you hear? What did you see? Shout it out. What do you see happening here? If this is the root system of our life as a church, the wellspring of all that comes as us being God's people, this is the plumbing, the gospel plumbing of the city which is us as the people. What did you see? What struck you in these first 15 or 14 verses? He's lavished all wisdom and insight. So all creation can be brought back. Yeah, he's a lavish God. He doesn't do things ha halfway. Got to be careful there, right, after a couple weeks ago? What else did you see? 
Yeah. All things come to the conformity of his will. How in the world does he do that? Amazing. What else? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Christ is the means in which we experience all of these blessings in Ephesians 1 as God's people. He's our life source. He's the means. He's the mediator. He's the one who's done it on our behalf. He had nothing to prove or no one to impress. He's already taken care of all the work. What else? For his glory. To the praise of his glory. To the pra- That's like Paul's favorite phrase, it seems here. Yeah, it has a goal, uh, uh, there's a hope, an expectation that all these things that are happening will bring Jesus praise. That line we just sang, the multitude will roar. Like, think about that picture. When Jesus returns, the multitude, every tribe, tongue, and nation will give praise and honor to one, Jesus Christ, our King. Like, can you, can you fathom that for a moment, to the praise of his glory? Like, what a picture that will be. Anything else? We're going to see some other insights, but yeah, Jay. Wonderful, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, this isn't an intellectual exercise where you and me get to maybe memorize this passage and we, ascent, we have an intellectual assent to like, well, we know these things to be true. We've experienced them. There's a familiarity of knowing this intimacy with Christ and now with God because of what Christ has done. Yeah. Tell me more. Yeah, we're going to talk about that. Don't worry. Some of you are like about to leave this room. Yeah, it's sealed. Can't undo it. I, uh, when I was looking at this passage all week and thinking about this being this one really long sentence, that's what it is. Second, I think the second longest sentence in the entire New Testament next to a passage in Colossians, which is basically the same passage, just different words. I was thinking of this moment in American history. It was in 1963. I think it was in August. It was the March on Washington. So you guys familiar with March on Washington? And maybe hopefully you got it in your history class. But basically, March on Washington, uh, King and other civil rights leaders at the time come to Washington to plan this march and this rally, in a sense. And the White House and everybody else was like, hey, I don't know. This is maybe not a good idea. It might end in rioting and violence. Like, I don't know if you want to move forward. And they're like, no, we're here. Like, we're going to push forward. We're going to have this march. And it's a story everybody knows because uh, it's the I Have a Dream speech happened that day. Uh, but most of us don't know the backstory to the I Have the Dream speech. I didn't until the last year. Uh, King is up there. He has his notes very well prepared. He probably had a script like I got up here, and he's like, I'm just going to follow the, follow the plan. 
And then like two minutes into or three minutes into his speech, someone is yelling at him from behind, the one and only Mahalia, Mahalia Jackson. Is that what I'm saying her name right? She's like the, one of the most best, amazing black uh, singers of the time. Like incredible. She would sing to King at night when he was overwhelmed with the, the responsibility that he carried. And she just yells from the back and says, tell them about the dream, Martin. Tell them about the dream. And he goes off script, and the moment we've all heard or seen takes place. Like, I feel like in a small, small glimpse and small way, that's kind of what's happening here with Paul. He starts his letter. He probably has some notes prepared and some things he wants to work through. And then it's like someone from the prison cell next to him says, tell him about the gospel, Paul. Tell him about the gospel. And then he just goes off. And we get this powerful picture of what is happening in the gospel, of uniting heaven and earth all together. And the good news is, at that time and in that place, it was a dream for King and for our nation that one day a black little girl and a white little girl would sit together. That, that was a dream. That wasn't reality. But this is reality this isn't a dream that Paul dream, that had that he would hope for that would happen in the future. It was happening right now. Ephesians 1, hey, no, these, these things are happening right now. God, right now in Christ, is reconciling heaven and earth together. He started that in the cross and resurrection. He's adopted you. You've been chosen. It's been sealed and signed. You can't do away with it. This isn't a dream. It is reality. And I think as a church, and I'm, I'm guilty of this because this is how I teach, we do a lot of, hey, do this and do that, and Sarah gives me a lot of critique about that. We just tell people to do a lot of things. That's what she says in the secret of our conversation that now is very public. We tell people to do a lot of things. Like, you just tell people, like, you know, live this way, do this thing, practice the blessed rhythm, live in a mission, like, all these things. It's like, but those things can be disconnected from this reality underneath. We start with that fourth question, what are we to do? But we forget who is God, what has God done, and who are we? That's all of Ephesians, basically the next three chapters. It's a lot of who is God, what has God done, and who are we? Now, in light of that, chapter four, live a certain way. I love Ben, if you saw on the podcast, he said the translation NIV is like, then, now, it's like doesn't give the, the weight of what's happening. It's like, therefore, in light of all that who God is, what God has done, and who are we? We live a certain way. My friends, seriously, we are in danger as a church of missing out, of moving too fast from the plumbing or the root system of what it means to be God's people onto what we're supposed to do, which creates burnout and bitterness and an older brother syndrome where you and I look at one another and say, God, I've been slaving for you all these years, and never once have you given me anything, not even a goat to celebrate with my friends. It's disconnected from the under the underrooting of the gospel that we can fall prone to and become a victim to. So here's what I want to do. I want to look at four phrases kind of together to kind of give you a vision for this passage, chapter one. I'm going to talk about being blessed and chosen, adopted and forgiven, wisdom and understanding, and then deposit and inheritance. All words that are coming here from Ephesians chapter one. You guys have already named a lot of these in what you just shared. 
let's look at some of what's happening here in Ephesians 1, what it means that of who God is and what he's done and who are we. Blessed and chosen. Sadly, the word blessed is one of the most overused, watered down hashtags of our culture. Like, and blessing is really subjective, right? Like people are blessed when they have their pumpkin spice latte here the next couple of weeks when fall, fall comes in Arizona. And uh, they're blessed when they have a child. And it's like, those are the same thing. It's like, what? Hashtag, everything is blessed. We've, we've lost this. It's a word that's been watered down. We lose meaning. But it's this beautiful, rich word from the Bible, from the scriptures. And let me just say this about all these words. They're like an email that you get. You probably get emails, right, for your job. Some of you more than others. Uh, and how emails have like a hyperlink or hyperlinks in them, where in the email as you run through it, you can click on a word that's a hyperlink that leads you to another complete page, sometimes a complete different website. Like these words here in Ephesians 1 are like hyperlinks. When you see the word blessed, it's a hyperlink to a whole story of what God's been doing in history. When you see the word chosen, it's a hyperlink to this whole story of how God has chosen a people for himself and through the people would bless the world. There are all these words are hyperlinks. And Ben brought that out in the sermon or the podcast last week. Hey, you can't understand Ephesians 1 apart from the story that it comes in. And you're familiar with that, at least if you've been around our context of, from creation to restoration, but there are hyperlinks happening here. So the word bless is, is rich. Think of the story of Abraham, how Abraham was blessed to be a blessing. Through you, Abraham, I'm gonna bless the entire world. It's a hyperlink, chosen. The idea that God has chosen us. He's, and then to tie that word, and this is the dangerous, scary word, predestined. Some of you are like, I don't care. But some of you are like, oh, man, I, I thought we were not part of a church like that. Uh, predestined, chosen, predestined. Like, I, I, again, though, this is where if you don't have the hyperlink vision, you take that word and then you infuse all kinds of meaning that isn't actually what it means. A couple of years ago, I was sitting with a couple that's still part of our church, and they were coming from a different context, a really good context, and they were really concerned about this use of the word predestined because the vision they had been given was that God basically is like playing a big game of dodgeball, and he's picking teams, and he's like in charge, and he's like, you're in, and you're out. You're in, and you're out, and you're in, and you're out, and that's what God's doing with humans in history. Very like, he's just kind of like flippant with his choice. And again, because it wasn't a hyperlink, it wasn't connected to the story, I had to try to explain that from creation restoration. God is always choosing for the sake of seeing others brought in. The whole point of choosing and setting aside Abraham in Genesis 12 was so that the nations might encounter God. Israel, hey, you're supposed to be a holy people, a priesthood, a nation of priests. What does a priest do? They mediate on behalf of others. You've been chosen, but not for yourself, but for the sake of others. God isn't playing this magical game of dodgeball in the sky, but he's setting aside particular people so that others might be brought in. Is that how God works? He works through people like you and me. That's the truth. Blessed and chosen is who you are and what God has done. All right, I want to go to adopted and forgiven. Uh, I had to read this book in college that some of you use now as, um, I don't know what you use it for, a lot of different fodder it's been used for now. It's Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology book. Some of you are like, oh yeah, I threw that away a long time ago. 
or it's underneath our table where we can make sure it doesn't wobble anymore. We use it right there. But, okay, when I was in college, there was a chapter in that book, Wayne Grudem's Theology, Systematic Theology. It's like this big. You're supposed to read that in a semester or something crazy like that. It's unbelievable. But like chapter, I have to say it's like 33 or 34. I, I remember that vividly. There's a, there's a chapter on what it means that we've been adopted. Adopted. And he makes a simple point. And, and Keaton and I had this exact experience in college, not even in the same class. He makes a point that God could have not adopted you. He could have simply forgiven you. But he takes it a step further you haven't just been forgiven, you have been adopted. Keaton and I, in, different, in uh, different settings, that like transformed our vision of the gospel. Oh, I'm not just forgiven, like, hey, you're good, you're good. Come join the team. It was like, no, I'm adopting you as a son or a daughter. I'm taking it one step further than I even had to or even I could. Wow. Like the God who creates mountains and oceans and galaxies, he adopted you. Like, do you, do you believe that? That what Christ has done, he has welcomed you in. That kind of intimacy, like Jay said in the back, that word no, that kind of familiarity that, yeah, it's one thing to be forgiven, it's another thing to be someone's child. And I get some of us because of our experiences in families and parents and, and the, even the idea of a father can get us all sideways. But there's still something powerful there with the idea that you've been brought in. You're, you're family now. All right, the third one, wisdom and understanding. The mystery here happening in Ephesians 1 is that heaven and earth have been reconciled together. Now, you guys have seen the symbols of the story with the arrows and the X's and all that stuff. But you could also tell the story with just circles, like you could say, hey, the beginning of the story is one circle. Heaven and earth are one. God dwells with humanity. He made this good, true, and beautiful creation. And everything in it, it was, was amazing. And it was filled with this hidden potential. And he called you and I as partners in the story to cultivate and create this beautiful world that he's made. He started. Heaven and earth are one. God's space and human space overlap. Well, what happens in the story? Adam and Eve rebel. They think, oh, God's actually got it out for us. We're going to live in a different story. Heaven and earth are split. Now you have two circles. Heaven and earth, these spaces don't really overlap. And the only way they really do in the Old Testament is like there's these little moments of like a tabernacle or a temple where heaven and earth kind of touch and merge, where God's presence is among his people. But it takes a lot of work to get into that space. You've got to make a lot of sacrifices and do a lot of things to have that kind of encounter and familiarity with God. And the rest of the story is like, hey, what will God do? Will he reconcile heaven and earth? Because God's space and our space is different now. And we experience sin and rebellion and we actually don't listen to God and we need help and our hearts are hard. And so the rest of the story is like, will the, will the circles overlap? And then we come to Jesus, this Messiah, this long-awaited promised one, the son of Abraham, the son of David, the king, the one who would bring blessing to the nations. He comes and the twist of the story is that the circles begin to overlap because not through triumph, but through the cross. In his death and resurrection, Jesus is, as he rises from the grave, or as he, sorry, as he dies, the moment he dies, the temple curtain that separated heaven and earth is torn in two. And now you and I have access into that heavenly space, into God's presence, because God's presence isn't a particular space anymore. It's, throughout, it's scattered throughout the whole world. And so now the circles are overlapped. And now we live as the church waiting one day 
for Jesus to return to bring heaven and earth back together. The whole point of Ephesians 1 is to say, you've been revealed the mystery, which is that story. People have been wondering for thousands of years, how will heaven and earth be reconciled? Will God ever dwell among his people again? You have the story. You have the insider knowledge. You've been given the wisdom and understanding to know that is true and has implications for your life. Lastly, deposit an inheritance. Now, I'm not on Instagram very much anymore these days, thankfully so, but I did see that some of us in our congregation did buy some Powerball tickets um, a couple of weeks ago for the big Powerball one point something billion dollars, and I was really upset. I said, geez, I can't believe we have people in our congregation that buy lottery tickets. Are you kidding me? No, I wasn't actually that upset, because, but I didn't buy one myself. Uh, but I was like, wow, that's, that's interesting. Well, I was, I, uh, I, uh, I was thinking about the Powerball a lot that, that week because I was thinking about, is this a big deal that people are buying Powerball tickets? Maybe I should buy one. Uh, then it was too late. There's only one winner, I think. Did you guys see that? Did they have claimed it yet? You don't even know, right? They're going to be hidden because if not, they'd get hurt or something if people knew. But I think the stats were like, hey, you could take a one-time payment, right, up front of like, it's big, it's taxed pretty bad, right? It's like, or however it works, 750 million or something like that. Just overnight your account. Can you imagine that? Overnight, it's like, oh, the next day you wake up, $750 million in your Chase checking. That would be pretty cool. Or, and we, I was having an argument with somebody, or you can take like a monthly deposit and you get more money over a long period of time, 30 years, or whatever it's fixed, like a mortgage. And, uh, I was thinking about that, like, hey, what would you choose? Would you do the fixed rate? You get a little bit more money? Or would you want, like, overnight your account to look like your Jeff Bezos or something like that? Uh, regardless of what you would choose, this is a dangerous thing. I'm going to connect the Powerball with an insight here to this Ephesians 1. But just play along, please. So imagine for a second you choose the deposit. You don't choose the lump sum. I think that's a small glimpse in a monetary way of what's happening here in Ephesians 1. You've been given this monthly deposit, a guarantee every month of the Holy Spirit. He's not leaving. It's, it's fixed. It's consistent. He is every part of your life. He is infiltrated as you follow Jesus. But the deposit isn't the whole amount. Like you're getting glimpses and tastes of it along the way, but you're waiting for one day for the whole amount to be given. That's the vision, I think, here of, hey, the Spirit's been given as a deposit of the inheritance that is due to you in Christ when Jesus returns. Do you believe that? Do you believe you've been given a deposit more than a lottery? And you guys seen the stats or stuff. People that win the lottery, like, they ruin their lives. It's really sad. But, like, we've been given this rich, lavish deposit from God of the Holy Spirit, God himself who dwells in us and among us. Like, do you believe that? Are you living in accordance with that reality, with the inheritance that is to wait you, that you get to taste here and now? As we gather to share meals and speak good news to one another, do you, do you experience the taste of that inheritance that is ours to come? Like, we taste this meal here in a second, a small glimpse of the meal that is to be provided for us when Jesus returns. These four things. There's not much, hey, do it. there's not anything I want you to do right now. I want you just to listen and hear this good news. And I don't know about you, but I need some good news. I need some good news as a person. Like, we need some good news as a church. This is good news. 
that you've been blessed and chosen, that you've been adopted and forgiven, that you've been given wisdom and understanding into the mystery that's been hidden for centuries, and you have a great deposit, a taste of the inheritance that has to come in Christ when Jesus returns. This is unbelievable good news. And it's nothing you've done to earn it or to receive it. It's all what Christ has done. Here's the question I want you to reflect on before we come to the table. What is God asking you to remember this afternoon about your identity that's displayed here in Ephesians 1? What have you forgotten? What haven't you remembered of what Jesus has done on your behalf? Where has this become rote because it's so familiar to some of you of what God has done of reconciling heaven and earth and that you get to be a part of that? So before I invite you to the table, which Ben and Brittany are going to lead for us this afternoon, I want to reread for you Ephesians chapter 1, what we started with. Because everything that we're going to celebrate here at the table is found in Ephesians 1. Everything. Once I read these words, I'm going to invite you to stand. And then we're going to recite the mystery of our faith that Christ has died, has risen, and will come again. But let these words wash over you as you sit. You receive, you, you do nothing to, to take hold of this. You simply receive it. It says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship, daughtership, through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us of the one he loves. In him, you and I have redemption through his blood. You've been forgiven according to the riches of God's grace that he lavished on you. He's always got enough. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his pleasure which he purposed in Christ to put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Would you stand with me? As the kids get to join us, as we get to share this meal, we recite together the mystery of our faith. It is a great mystery that you and I are in on, that Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again, regardless of your circumstances or what you're carrying, that is true. And because that is true, it changes everything else. So let's recite together. Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. Come and receive.